0: gratitude and greatness is a production of recursive delete audio visual grief gratitude and greatness explores our culture around grief the gratitude that allows us to weather it and the greatness we incidentally come away with i'm your host Sarah Shaul A former pro skater faced with a great loss John met his grief head on He organized a memorial ride to honor his sister and raise funds to help others struggling with mental health John spoke about eggplants, supportive friends depression Orville the taxidermy cat drone and getting proactive with grief You've put together a bike ride called The Good Egg. It's something that you put together in honor of your sister?
1: hmm that's right. It was a bicycle trip we did last summer in July. I think the idea came to mind a couple of years before that, not to call it The Good Egg or anything, just the idea of doing some sort of mission to raise some money to do something in the mental health sector or to help in the mental health sector in some way because my sister had passed in 2011, a few years before that. I've done bits and pieces of sort of self therapy art and whatnot, working through the emotions that come along with losing somebody close to you from suicide. Yeah, I'd wanted to do something a bit bigger and I can't remember how it came about. I think I was just sitting, looking probably on Facebook. The whole project really is an example of like the internet and social media as a power of good, I think. There's been a couple of fun projects that have come out of just random interactions online with mutual friends of friends and whatnot that's resulted in cool projects. So this was kind of one of them. I think I just noticed somebody was doing a fundraising thing online and I was like, oh yeah, there's apps for this.
0: How does that exactly work? So you say, okay, I'm going to do this bike ride. How does it evolve into a fundraiser?
1: I looked in the Just Giving app, which I think was the one that I'd seen somebody using, clicked into it and I realized that the Scottish Association... For mental health was an organization that was supported via just giving, so it was like a really simple, streamlined thing to set up. Because so that's where my cousin works in Scotland, and he works there as pretty much a direct result of what happened to Katrina. Like, he changed his life or he sort of changed his career path after that happened not immediately, but eventually, and got into suicide prevention. So the fact that that was just there in the app, it was kind of everything coming together at the right time, and I was like, Oh, click. And then, now what are you going to do? And I'm like, oh, yeah, you have to do something. Okay, I'll ride my bike, do a trick. I'll do an eggplant. I always liked eggplants.
0: What exactly is an eggplant?
1: It's a type of hand plant. So when you're skating up the transition of a ramp, and you invert yourself at the peak, the lip, as it's called. Plant your hand down. So for an eggplant, it's like you grab your toe-side rail of your board with your trailing hand you sort of air and invert yourself and plant your leading hand on the coping. Try and balance for a second and go back in. I had a blog called The Predatory Bird since like 2010 or something, I think I started up, just as a sort of random place to post up creative writing projects, video projects, photography, what have you.
0: The Predatory Bird is your blog.
1: Which was like a loose reference to seagulls, which were notorious in the... Coastal town in northeast Scotland where I grew up, and I just always had fun with that concept. The idea of seagulls being a predatory bird is not the commonly held viewpoint of seagulls. They're more seen as scavengers. I just like the idea that they are actually kind of predatory. There's lots of videos online of seagulls attacking baby pigeons and whatnot. You know, if you're a shellfish as well, a barnacle trapped on the in a rock pool. But yeah, the point was, I guess it's a kind of loose bird theme and the egg is both a symbol of life and birds lay eggs. (laughs) Yeah. And the eggplant has got the word egg in it (laughs) and therefore it became the good egg because it's a charity ride and the good egg is a phrase that means somebody that's doing something that's decent. Yeah. That was pretty much it. (laughs) (laughs) That's That's great. That's how it came together. And then, yeah, so I wrote, okay, I'll ride my bike. I'd done a big bicycle tour in the past. It was super fun. I was like, I'll ride to Lincoln City and do an eggplant. And my idea was to do it on the big 13-foot-deep concrete wave at the end of this snaking, undulating concrete ribbon. Ends in a big, bowled-out vert wall. Got there and realized that wasn't going to happen. But there was like a little nine-foot section around the back that worked out quite well.
0: There's a video of the trip, which is quite good.
1: The video does a decent job of kind of... Setting the scene, explaining the whole thing. The video shows you the crew that came together, the mission that we did, why we did it, talks about that backstory, and yeah, did the trick because I said I would. And people donated money, therefore, I had no choice.
0: <laughs> you just had to keep trying and trying and trying. Yeah. And how long had it had been since you'd done an eggplant?
1: Uh, like eight years before that, I think. I was skating a lot last time I did one. I didn't do a particularly good one after the 100 mile ride. But <laughs> I bet. I'm planning on doing another trip this summer, later in the summer I think, to skate uh, a vert ramp that's down in Bend. I was speaking to the Guinness Book of Records to some agent that they have about setting a record for the most eggplants in one session. i got a couple of friends that can do the same trick and we will hopefully go down there. The criteria is I think there's like certain number of variables that have to be held constant and then, so it has to be like a A scenario where, you know, another group could put together the same scenario and try and beat whatever you're measuring. Sure. So in this case, it'll be like the time that we'll call the session will be constant, like be it 30 minutes or an hour. We'll say, okay, there's five skaters that are going to do this. And so five skaters in 30 minutes did X number of eggplants will be the record.
0: Will this be part of Good Egg?
1: Good Egg 2018.
0: 2018. Awesome. So this one will go to Bend instead of Lincoln City.
1: That's the plan. It'll have to be a couple of days we did the coast in one day, which is kind of a big day. So this one's like twice the distance, I think. To Bend versus Portland to Lincoln City it was 100 miles. Portland to Bend's got to be 200.
0: And you have the same you have more elevation that you deal with there too, right?
1: Yeah, we'd really have to go up over by Government Camp, Mount Hood. Yeah.
0: That's a lot of elevation for a bike ride.
1: So that's the plan this summer.
0: How many people do you think you'll get to ride with you?
1: It's a multiple day ride and at least camp out for one or two nights before we get to Bend, I think. It was nine people that rode last time and that was a good that was a good crew. Yeah. So between five and ten. Last year it was just me that was raising money and everyone just kind of was like, Well, you're doing this trip? Can I come? And I'm like, Yeah, of course. More the merrier.
0: In your video, one of the things I really liked, you said just go do it and do it for whatever your own cause is. Like, join us and sign up for whatever is important and special mm-hmm. to you. So your passion project isn't necessarily what everyone else is, needs to be either. Like, not everyone has to jump on board with what's important to you.
1: That's the idea. This, this year, I'm trying to say to some of the guys and girls who want to go, you know, what do you want to raise money for? Because last year, it was 10 days before I was leaving. I met one of the older guys at work who's super smart. I was telling him about it because I felt like it was something he would be interested in. And he was like, okay, cool. This sounds great. So everybody that's writing with you is, is raising money, right? They're all fundraising. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> Just me. That's a good idea. That's why you're you and you're smart. <laughs> and he was like, next year? What's the idea next year? You know, how many people next year? A hundred? Yeah. And I was like, oh, I was only just thinking about this year. That's another reason you're smart. You're thinking about scaling. <laughs> but yeah, I think this year is probably just the same 5'10". good people that want to ride with. And hopefully each person will have something that they feel strongly about that they can use their social media to like drive awareness around and help maybe raise a few bucks for some good causes.
0: Yeah. Like you said, you're, an, would it be safe to say that you're an ex pro skater?
1: Yeah, I self-identify as an ex-pro skateboarder, yeah. Yeah. Turned office worker.
0: Do you think that it helped that you have that background? I mean, Thrasher did a little spread. Thrasher Magazine did a little spread. I have
1: friends that run globally distributed magazines and have a small social media following that helps. So having platforms, having an audience helps. Yeah. People get excited and help spread the word and get involved. And that's kind of what I was talking about, the social media and... The internet, as they're often sort of reviled as the end of the world and (laughs) the demise of actual real social interaction. For me, there's been a number of projects where real action and real social interaction has arisen from the use of those tools. It's just tools, you know.
0: Sure. Those tools, I mean, you think they can work for just any old Joe Blow out there that doesn't really have that. Recognition to go out there and try and raise funds.
1: Yeah, it depends on the scale. Whatever scale you're at is going to work at that level. Yeah. I'm at a level where I have enough of a sort of reach and f- sort of friend base that wanted to support that. I managed to raise like forty five hundred bucks or something. So that's good, but mm-hmm. it's not like a million dollars right. just to throw a, a million out there as this sort of archetypal big number.
0: Yeah. Sure.
1: Yeah, it's just a little something. And then, you know, if you have a smaller group, then you make less money, maybe. Depends. Depends on the messaging. and.
0: Well, it's nice that you say, you know, anyone can go out there and raise money for whatever their cause. On your coattails too. So oh, you're saying,
1: yeah. ride with me. Or go and ride for yourself. I think that somebody from back in Scotland said that there was a crew. I need to find out more about what, what they did. They were going to do a similar ride from Inverness to Amsterdam and raise money for something that they believed in. So that was good. That was the whole point. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, get up, get out, do stuff.
0: I think you were talking about the nature of just being out on a bike and it's out there. It's a healthy activity. It's good for your mind, mm-hmm. for your mental health. But you also said... It's important to do what we're doing right now, talking. Because in the video, there's a little bit where people are talking about their own mental health or or things that brought them to the ride. Mm -hmm. Some having similar experiences to yours or experiences with depression. And you're saying, talk about it. Get out there and talk about it. That's part of what needs to happen. I love that you touched on that.
1: Yeah, that was, I say, uh, talk about it. I'm not trying to claim that that's like... The silver bullet that's going to solve all mental health issues and it's going to cure depression you know but i think that it's one of the simplest kind of weapons in our toolkit as it were because depression is kind of a vicious circle you end up shutting yourself off and feeling like you don't have any value and you you're just dragging people down and it's like this vicious circle i think sometimes you maybe need a little Need a little help, you can get yourself back into a place somehow where you're reaching out and getting involved with people again. And
0: I guess what I took from it too is that if we can just talk about depression or trauma or the kinds of things that make life really challenging, then we kind of destigmatize them. I feel like it's the stigma of the depression or the the heavy life challenges that Do sequester us from the rest of society. By talking about it, whether you're depressed or you're perfectly healthy, making depression a common conversation, then it makes it easier for people to admit to how they're feeling and not Mm -hmm. feel like they need to sequester themselves from their loved ones and friends and Mm -hmm. people in general.
1: Yeah. And I think that there's levels of talking about it as well. There's the beginnings of like, hey, I'm not feeling good. But then as long as there's good people around you that you're connecting with that are helping you like identify, okay, great. It's good to know that you're feeling super shitty and it's like, dark and all these things. But let's try and identify why because I, I do think that there's always some circumstantial reason, be it childhood trauma. You know, There's a, a million different factors that factor into making us feel any particular way on any particular day. When the psychotherapist we'd talked to after Katrina passed was saying, oh, don't try and comprehend why a person does that. And then I kind of recognized, yeah, there's too many factors at play that kind of buffet you around and make you feel in any particular way, any particular day. But that said, there is a variety of factors. There are real physical and circumstantial factors that make you feel the way that you feel. And there is the opportunity to be able to identify why you feel a certain way. And then take steps to mitigate that and work through it. Yeah. And that's what I've managed to do each time I've myself in a dark place. You just hold tight, muscle through, like John says in the video, or Cardiel says in the video. There's a glimmer of light. There's always a glimmer of light. Hold on to that. Make it through. And then, you know, the light starts to come back and you start to be like, okay, what can I do? What can I do to reconnect with people, to reconnect with my life, and to reconnect with a positive future instead of this dark gloomy mist that I couldn't help but see but it starts with talking
0: I love that you talk about that in the video and you had mentioned before conceptualizing the good egg there was other art that you created as a response to losing your sister Katrina do you feel like that's part of your grieving process
1: yeah yeah in hindsight for sure like after Katrina passed I was pretty traumatized I think it was about a year after that. I don't know if I broke my wrist or something and I wasn't skating as much. Sponsors went out the window and so I was like just in this sort of limbo period in life anyway and still reeling from what happened to Katrina. Uh, This was another art project that stemmed from social media. Ended up doing this fun remote project with a comic book artist from the UK called John Horner that all stemmed from an Instagram post. What well, happened again, I guess I'd been feeling better, having a lot of fun. I think I posted a picture of this cat named Orville that was the pet of a Dutch artist and it had been killed by a car. And this Dutch artist decided to uh, honour the life of Orville the cat by turning Orville the cat into a four-propeller drone, cat drone, uh-huh. <laughs> which was pretty gruesome and horrific at the same time as being pretty fascinating like because it didn't seem on the surface when you saw pictures of this or video footage of this taxidermy cat drone thing that that was sort of paying tribute but then when you read about the guy talking about he it, it was like no the cat was called Orville after Orville Wright you know one <laughs> of the Wright brothers flight oh was God. his story from the get-go And so it's just an interesting take. I don't know if it's a Dutch thing, but (laughs) however, The point was I posted it, and then John, I think John posted it because he was fascinated by it. And I commented, hey, John, I'm not sure if I like this or not because, you know, you can only like things on Instagram. You can't dislike them. Right. I was like, I don't know if I like this, but I wanted to just acknowledge that I'd seen that he posted it, and it was an interesting thing that I was trying to fathom how I felt about it. And he was like, yeah, I know what you mean, man but the villain in the Predator Bird comic would fly around in this. <laughs> and I was like, you're right, man, you're right. We should do this. And so that was another one Thrasher helped help with, and they published it monthly for, for the 12 installments that we managed to uh, get written up. So it was a story about a kid that dad passes away, and he finds skateboarding and the group of friends to connect with, and that helps him through with some, like, skate culture references here and there. And the thing that was mainly on my mind was, was working through grief because of what happened to my sister, but it ended up being a comic about what happened to myself when I was 13 when my dad passed away. Through my teenage years, you just, you don't really know what it is. It's right. this unseen, dark thing that is always with you. I've realized lately it's probably turned me into a pretty doomsday sky is falling kind of adult. Because I just noticed myself kind of always being a worst-case scenario kind of guy. And I'm like, oh, it's probably because when I was growing up, the worst case did happen. Yeah. So, I don't know. Maybe the worst case happens to most people.
0: Well, I lost my mom when I was 10. You're grieving, but you don't realize that you are grieving. Because Mm -hmm. it's your first real experience with loss. It's hard to identify it, I guess.
1: Yeah. When you're that age, I don't know that. You have the vocabulary to even verbalize what it is that you're feeling. Right. Feelings are hard enough to talk about when you're grown-ass adult, right. <laughs> let alone when you're 10 or 13. Right.
0: Or- but I think when you're looking back, you can say, oh, I get it. Like, for me, I was always positive but heavy-hearted. Mm-hmm. And actually, if you look at any photos of me as a child, I'm never smiling. Hmm. That's pretty unusual with a child. But— That's not to say I wasn't a happy child. And I think if you ask almost anyone who knows me, they probably think that I'm a super positive person. I think everyone processes differently. It's not the same for everyone. It's different for everybody. But one thing I recognize as grief has revisited me in my advancing years, I'm taken right back to that place where I was when my mom passed. Mm -hmm. And so I find it really interesting that one of the art projects that you embraced, in part managing your grief with your sister's passing, took you right back to what you did to address that grief in your youth when your father passed. Did that familiar feeling come rushing back to you, or was it more subtle than that?
1: It was subtle. I mean, I probably went back to that because I wanted to talk about those kinds of feelings, but the story of my sister was just still way too raw and close. You know, It was only a year or a year and a half or whatever before. And I don't know what the, there's no standard timeline for how long it's supposed to take. If anyone says within a year after somebody that close to you taking their own life that you should be feeling chipper, then I'd say that that's wrong. It was like easier to deal with an emotional trauma that happened 20 years prior than what just happened. So it was kind of this working through of something. And I I don't know, As, as a story, I was talking to my friend at Thrasher and, they were down to publish something, and I was like, well, then it needs to kind of have a skate aspect to it if it's going to be in Thrasher. So it became this semi-biographical, what I call it? I called it something like a, a half-truth wrapped in a fantasy, <laughs> because we're ultimately going to get to this weird fantastical crescendo of the story where they go down to the local landfill, which is completely filled up with plastic parts from skateboards that used to be sold and attached to boards back in the 80s, and then... In the 90s, everyone kind of realized, like, don't need any of that stuff. Extra, you know, fluff. So there's a landfill filled with all this plastic stuff, and that's where the, I can't remember what we called the flying cat at that point. We had a name for it. But that's where the villain was flying around, and the big skate gang had to take it down, and it melted all the plastic in the landfill and revealed this beautiful skate park that was under there. Oh. But the problem was all the plastic then flowed out to sea. Which is now where it probably has taken up a bunch of space in the Great Pacific garbage swirl that's mm. out of there. That idea came from seeing a photo essay by um, maybe Ed Bertinsky. He went out and did a photo study of all the seabirds that live on the Bikini Islands and they die from eating too much plastic, basically.
0: Right. There's a big push right now based on that to give up all plastics.
1: Based on my comic.
0: Well, maybe that helps a little bit. No, We
1: can only hope. But
0: I think on that photo essay.
1: Yeah, it was a couple of years back he did that. But yeah, I'm sure there's been lots of, lots of work done around trying to raise awareness that, hey, the lighter and the like straw that you had at your McDonald's and the bag that you used, you know, everything, it doesn't just go away. Yeah. It goes away somewhere else where there's animals that will be kind of fucked up by it.
0: Right, right. There's this book I've been reading called The Wild Edge of Sorrow, which they talk about grief. But what I really love about the book is it talks about how interconnected we are with our environment. When we grieve about something really personal, like losing someone, we're actually also relating that grief to our grief over the defiling of our environment as well. And I know it's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, being around nature and trees that definitely seems to have some sort of positive effect. That was another good thing about the Good Egg Ride. We rode out along the Nestucca River Road in the northwest, and it's pretty beautiful out there. I did just ploughed through the first book I'd read cover to cover that fast in years. It was called Lost Connections by Johann Hari. He's a super sharp writer from London, and it it's not specifically about grief, it's about depression. It kind of takes you through to some ideas, some actionable ideas for like how to reconnect with the world and the people around you. He did a pretty extensive amount of research, interviews, talking to a bunch of different really smart people all around the world about that subject. And he came up with a pretty amazing um, sort of thesis about why We suffer from depression as humans and what we can do about it, too. That's the good thing about it. It starts with talking, but there's actionable things that we can be working towards to help ourselves. His opening gambit is all about the science that there is around antidepressant pharmaceuticals. And I kind of half knew this, but there's little to no sort of evidence that antidepressants really do much beyond placebo. (laughs) It turns out that whoever it is governing body that grants license to distribute and market and sell pharmaceuticals is more often than not funded by pharmaceutical companies. Sure. And so they do cherry picking of science and they employ confirmation bias in terms of what they distribute to the public as their findings. As soon as I start going down that path and somebody hasn't read the book, it's, it's easy for somebody to say, oh, you mean like a conspiracy theory? And it's like, No. <laughs> He lays it out pretty well in terms of like, no, he just did due diligence, journalistic research, and he gathered the information because if you request the findings that any company has put together in terms of the research, they're legally obliged to give up right. all of the open work. records. Yeah, yes. open records. So yeah, he put it all together, talked to a bunch of people. Turns out there's a thing called the Hamilton scale, which is a measurement of how happy you are. If you get onto a course of antidepressants and you're feeling pretty low on the Hamilton scale, it turned out that maybe, maybe it would jump you up that Hamilton scale like less than one point. And if you just get better sleep at night, you can jump by six points. So there's like a factor of six better results from just getting more regular sleep. And again, it's not to say, hey, Everyone that's on antidepressants, stop taking them right now. Wouldn't right. say that at all. We evolved as tribal beings in a community of up to 150 people or something, and you know, kids raised by the village is the phrase that kind of encapsulates that fact. Having that kind of community infrastructure around you as you grow up as a human is innate; it's hardwired in our DNA. Modern society and technology and social media and all that stuff to a certain extent tends to break down those old connections that we used to have, you know? I live thousands of miles away from my extended family at this point. There's a nuclear family unit and some friends, but that community feeling is often not exactly there. You start to see those connections have been broken down basically and there's lots that we can do to reconnect.
0: A lot of your disconnection... has to do with physical distance. I mean, I will venture to say,
1: yeah? Yeah, there is that. I'm not involved in that much extracurricular community stuff outside of skateboarding. So skateboarding is like the story in the comic is the kid finds a tribe and a connection with some mutually like-minded kids, misfits or what have you, that he feels connected to and then you have a community from that. So that was part of the theme of that comic. And I think the same applies across a you know, bunch of different things you can get involved in. My mom grew up in the church. I grew up going to a church. I'm an absolute atheist at this point, so I don't really have a church community to go to, but you can see why the church community is an important part of a community. For a lot of people who want to believe in that stuff, that's great. There's a bunch of different sort of ways to create community.
0: One thing I see now, which and like you said, social media is a great tool.
1: Yeah, as long as it's just the tool for actually enabling real connections, then that's great.
0: Exactly. And one thing that personally makes me so sad is when someone posts something very personal on social media, and then there's a cascade of comments, and it's basically the equivalent of thoughts and prayers, I'm so sorry, thinking of you. How many seconds does it take to take in the pain of someone else, type in a few words, and then be on through a dozen more posts. In the span of less than a couple of minutes, you can forget someone's pain. Within a span of 24, 48 hours, this person's pain has sort of been addressed and bookshelved. I mean, I understand it's an effective way to let a lot of people know something really important, but maybe the point isn't about letting a lot of people know, maybe the point is having just a few of the really important people actually showing up. And I, I would say physically, but because of how the world yeah. is, we're not all physically close in proximity.
1: Well, the optimist in me, to quote myself from the Good <laughs> video, the optimist in me would see that in my imagination as it is right now, a post where somebody's expressing some painful thing And there's a cascade of comments of hopefully friends and acquaintances expressing their sympathy or, you know, reaching out to help. I would hope out of that, the idea is, hey, I don't know who wants to help me right now, but I'm in pain, so I'm going to put it out there. And there'll be a cascade of comments. And hopefully out of those comments, the three or four people that are close enough and in the right headspace to help might, hey, get involved and meet up for real and talk through it and help. Of course. That's my uh, optimistic yeah. Point of view on that. Yeah. Maybe not, though.
0: No, I think Maybe I'll- it's the
1: other way around, but I, I'd like to think that that the way I just described it is hopefully the way it works And I out. guess
0: my concern is that as you say there's a breakdown of our society, you, you said it a little bit ago. Johan
1: and- Harry says it more eloquently than I did <laughs> on this, but.
0: I guess I just don't want to see social media replacing real interaction. I can tell you that I have more meaningful interaction with the checkout people at the grocery store that I hardly know than I do with some of the people that are my Mm quote-unquote Facebook friends. (laughs) Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And and it's just looking into people's eyes, them earnestly asking me, how has your day been? Mm Mm-hmm. Or the lady at the gym whose yeah, name I don't know. It starts who's like, yeah. That holds so much more weight to me sometimes.
1: I come back to social media because it's come up in the last eight years. It's only really been in existence for eight years, maybe a bit more. Mm. It's a young, new form of communication. I've worked in that field, and it's just interesting to me because it's part of the new way that we communicate with each other.
0: As long as we look at these... As tools Mm -hmm. rather than community.
1: The tool aspect of it is what I'm getting at, where, hey, that person that posts this painful thing, there was a quote I saw recently that really encapsulates what social media is, and it's this notion that every single post that anyone ever puts up on social media, the caption could read, please acknowledge me.
0: Yeah,
1: And that's basically what it is. So that's like a post like you described, that's what that is. It's just, hey, I don't know who can acknowledge me right now, because this is a painful thing. It's tough to talk about. So I don't want to just corner somebody. And, you know, yeah. if they don't feel like it, but I can blanket it out there right now. And the people that are receptive and ready to help, maybe they'll hit me up and help me. That's kind of what I'm getting at. And it's a tool. And so it's the enabler of real interaction at that point. Very and well. And not the end game.
0: Well, you say something else in your video, which is really poignant. And you say, you know, maybe it's the optimist in me, but I believe that there's hope for people who are suicidal, basically.
1: There's some combination of chemistry and therapy that can help every individual. Yes. Meaning there's some bespoke combination of those things of, hey, talk about things. Maybe some antidepressants will help you, even if it is just placebo. Taking action helps you get through things. Right. It helps you start to kind of work towards some positive goal.
0: especially when there's loss. The story behind somebody's passing tends to overtake their narrative. And I really want to know more about Katrina.
1: I don't know. It's a tough one. I lived away from Scotland for so many years, and Katrina to me was my sister who I'd always be stoked to see when she was in a good, positive mood. When I was visiting at home, we would go ride bikes in the summer, drink beers together and laugh. She was always bubbly and fun. And from all reports, a hardworking person and a good adult, as good a mother as she could be, given she had her kid when she was a kid herself when she was 19. But yeah, I lived away so much that unfortunately Katrina was often, she was often a phone call in the middle of the night when she was just, distraught and at her wit's end and having some sort of manic dark moment but photographs and memories of her besides those parts just a happy like i said hardworking, working fun full of laughter yeah it's a tough one because i lived away so
0: because you were so pretty much. much a kid when you left i mean i think
1: i left when i was 18 to live in glasgow I lived there till i was 22 or so, and then was couch surfing around London and, you know, hanging out in Barcelona in the summer, skating, working on projects, working on video parts, interviews, all that stuff that you have to work on if you want to maintain a career as any pro sports person. There's a bit of structure to skateboarding, but yeah, I was doing all that stuff, so I was just away, and Katrina stayed in Aberdeen, worked for companies that were Related to the oil industry, did office stuff. She would tell me about that. Sometimes it would be hilarious when she's in a good mood, and sometimes it would be in the middle of the night when she's drunk and down and depressed, thinking she's the worst. So yeah, she, was, she had her manic moments, basically. She was a figure skater when she was young. She was really talented and good at that. She'd go back into horse riding, because she'd been through a pretty low depressive time. The year leading up to her death, she'd been signed off work with stress and her work had been less than understanding about that. She felt like her work that she was at was kind of had it in for her or mm. something. Like they were trying to get rid of her. And maybe that's true. I don't know. We'll, yeah. never, we'll never really know.
0: Your cousin, Liam,
1: mm-hmm.
0: he went to work for Sam. Sam is Scotland Association...
1: For mental health. For
0: mental health. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, he went to work for them. He was working in a banking job, I think, and for one reason or another, that didn't work out. And he, I think he found himself in a situation where he had to reconsider his career path anyway. Yeah. And so he just was young and had time and space to consider what he wanted to do for real and did some training and got involved with that organization. It seems to be doing well for him.
0: Were you familiar with Sam before Liam got involved?
1: No, I had no reason to really know about anything to do with mental health outreach or, or awareness or support. Well,
0: it sounds like he's doing great things and you're doing great things. You're a good egg.
1: Trying to be. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if you or anyone you know is struggling with depression or thoughts of suicide, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline 1 800 273 8255 That's 1-800-273-TALK Grief, Gratitude, and Greatness is a production of Recursive Delete Audiovisual in Portland, Oregon This episode was produced and edited by Jack Saturn and me, Sarah Shaul The music was by Samantha Jensen Visit us online at griefgratitudegreatness.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at griefgratitudegreat. Subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, or wherever you like to listen. And leave us a review. Your feedback helps our show and helps us find new listeners. Your support allows us to keep doing this work, delivering insights and inspiration. We'd be pleased as punch if you share our show with your friends and anyone you think could benefit from listening in. We're excited to share more stories with you, so please join us again.